The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, the events of the past week have made it impossible for me to stand here and deliver anything like the message I had been contemplating for this Feast of Pentecost. Instead, I believe I need to share with you a word to the church that our presiding bishop, the Most Reverend Michael Curry, released last night. And then I believe I need to share with you my own reflections on it as your priest. Here's Bishop Curry's statement. A word to the church from presiding Bishop Michael Curry. In the midst of COVID-19 and the pressure cooker of a society in turmoil, a Minnesota man named George Floyd was brutally killed. His basic human dignity was stripped by someone charged to protect our common humanity. Perhaps the deeper pain is the fact that this was not an isolated incident. It happened to Breonna Taylor on March 13th in Kentucky. It happened to Ahmad Arbery on February 23rd in Georgia. Racial terror in this form occurred when I was a teenager growing up black in Buffalo, New York. It extends back to the lynching of Emmett Till in 1955 and well before that. It's not just our present or our history. It is part of the fabric of American life. But we need not be paralyzed by our past or our present. We are not slaves to fate, but people of faith. Our long-term commitment to racial justice and reconciliation is embedded in our identity as baptized followers of Jesus. We will still be doing it when the news cameras are long gone. That work of racial reconciliation and justice, what we know as becoming beloved community, is happening across our Episcopal Church. It is happening in Minnesota and in the diocese of Kentucky, Georgia, and Atlanta, across America and around the world. That mission matters now more than ever, and it is work that belongs to all of us. It must go on when racist violence and police brutality are no longer front-page news. It must go on when the work is not fashionable and the way seems hard and we feel utterly alone. It is the difficult labor of picking up the cross of Jesus, like Simon of Cyrene, and carrying it until no one, no matter their color, no matter their class, no matter their caste, until no child of God is degraded and disrespected by anybody. That is God's dream. This is our work, 
and we shall not cease until God's dream is realized. Is this hopelessly naive? No. The vision of God's dream is no idealistic utopia. It is our only real hope. And, St. Paul says, hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Real love is the dogged commitment to live my life in the most unselfish, even sacrificial ways, to love God, love my neighbor, love the earth, and to truly love myself. Perhaps most difficult in times like this, it is even love for my enemy. That is why we cannot condone violence. Violence against any person, conducted by some police officers or by some protesters, is violence against a child of God, created in God's image. No, as followers of Christ, we do not condone violence. Neither do we condone our nation's collective, complicit silence in the face of injustice and violent death. The anger of so many on our streets is born out of the accumulated frustration that so few seem to care when another black, brown, or native life is snuffed out. But there is another way. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, a broken man lay on the side of the road. The religious leaders who passed were largely indifferent. Only the Samaritan saw the wounded stranger and act, acted. He provided medical care and housing. He made provision for this stranger's well-being. He helped and healed a fellow child of God. Love, as Jesus teaches, is action like this as well as attitude. It seeks the good, the well-being, and the welfare of others as well as oneself. That way of real love is the only way there is. Opening and changing hearts does not happen overnight. The Christian race is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Our prayers and our work for justice, healing, and truth-telling must be unceasing. Let us recommit ourselves to following in the footsteps of Jesus, the way that leads to healing, justice, and love. That was Bishop Curry's statement. And as I read it, I was taken back to a September afternoon in 2018. I was in Alabama for a conference at the Institute for Anglican Studies at Beeson Divinity School at Samford University in Birmingham. While I was at that conference, I would take two momentous phone calls. One was from Scott Slater, the canon to the ordinary for the diocese, telling me that the bishops had decided to pull the plug on the church plant in Catonsville I'd been working on for three frustrating years. The other one was from Bill Forgen, our senior warden at the time, telling me that St. Andrews wanted to call me to serve as priest in charge. But my emotions had already been churned up by what happened the previous day. I'd flown down to Alabama a day early so that I could visit the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, which had opened that April to commemorate the victims of lynching in this country. I'd read, read a number of articles about the memorial, and I'd heard from a few people who visited it that it had impacted them powerfully and it did impact me powerfully. 
The memorial is in the shape of a square enclosing open space. There's a roof, but the walls are open. Hanging from the roof are six-foot-tall slabs of rusted steel, over 800 of them, with the names of lynching victims and the dates of their murders engraved on them. As you start out, they're practically sitting on the ground, so you're walking among them, but then the floor slopes down, and eventually they hang several feet over you as you walk through. There's one of those slabs for each county in America where lynchings have been documented. Again, over 800 of them. As I started walking through the memorial, I saw the names of all kinds of places I'd never heard of, counties and states like Texas and Arkansas and Mississippi and South Carolina, and I have to confess, I did not feel a strong sense of connection. I live in Maryland, the free state. I grew up in New England, where no lynchings have ever been documented. My accent is nothing like the ones I heard around me when I landed in Birmingham and drove to Montgomery. Certainly, I never had to, anything to do with lynching anybody, and there's nothing in my family history to indicate that any of my ancestors held slaves. But as I continued through the memorial, I wasn't able to separate myself so easily because eventually I came upon slabs with the names of counties on the eastern shore and then southern Maryland and then Anne Arundel County where this church was that I'd been talking to. Then I saw one for Baltimore County where I live. Turns out that just across the street from the courthouse in Towson, where I competed on my high school's mock trial team, a 15-year-old boy named Howard Cooper was lynched on July 13, 1885. Less than a year before that, on November 27, 1884, a man named George Briscoe was arrested for a series of burglaries in this very neighborhood. He was brought before the local magistrate, Thomas S. Jacobs, who had himself been a victim of these burglaries. Judge Jacobs sent George Briscoe from Jacobsville to the courthouse in Annapolis in the custody of a constable and a man do, newly deputized as his assistant. But after they crossed the Magathy River on what was then the New Bridge and started coming up the hill, probably right around where the road bends and becomes what is now Old Magathy Bridge Road, a gang of masked men seized George Briscoe and hanged him from a dogwood tree. A jury found that he, quote, came to his death by strangulation at the hands of parties unknown, end quote. Though the Baltimore Sun's reporter was able to get the story from, quote, a number of gentlemen residing in the neighborhood of Stony and Rock Creeks, end quote. Two days later, the Evening Capital editorialized that the lynching, quote, may be condemned by some, yet under all the circumstances it was perhaps the only way to rid a community of so desperate a character as this Negro had proved himself to be. End quote. Now, I didn't know about any of that as I stepped outside into the bright sunlight. I knew that I had encountered for the first time personally a truth about our nation's history that I'd only been aware of intellectually. I knew that it would take a lot of time and prayer and talking with people I respect to process what I had experienced. I also knew that in Alabama, late September is still summer. Apart from my collar and my skin, I was clad entirely in black. 
and the sun beat down mercilessly from a cloudless sky. I wanted to get away from it, but there was no place I could find shelter as the path zigzagged gently down the hill and back toward the visitor center. I was exposed to the light and the heat, yes, but also to the truth that in a nation that prides itself on maintaining equal justice under law, we have not always lived up to our highest ideals. And at times, we have fallen very, very short. I'm not sure exactly how we as Christians in this place can best respond to the realities that the past week has reminded us of. I do know that there are good things that we as a church are doing. Once again this year, we will hold a Blue Mass in September and we'll pray for the public safety officers who protect all of us. We'll continue to honor the good and necessary work that they do. And we will honor the memory of brave policemen like Justin Putnam who gave their lives to protect and serve their fellow citizens. We will continue to proclaim the good news that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, be he a burglar or a murderer or just a garden-variety poor ordinary sinner. And we will continue to love one another in this church and in the community of love that is the Diocese of Maryland. Let me close by repeating what Bishop Curry said. The Christian race is not a sprint. It is a marathon. Our prayers and our work for justice, healing, and truth-telling must be unceasing. Let us recommit ourselves to following in the footsteps of Jesus, the way that leads to healing, justice, and love. Amen.